Experts estimate that there are nearly 3 million shipwrecks scattered across the world's oceans. And that is that only about 3,000 of those ships contain, contain treasure of any value. The, the recent discovery of a British merchant ship with $3 billion of platinum, just discovered last year off the coast of Cape Cod, keeps hope alive in the hearts of treasure hunters everywhere. Treasure hunters like the Schmidt family. The Schmidt family who for the last 13 years have been searching practically every day off the east coast of Florida. In just last month, 150 yards offshore, about 15 feet below the surface of the sea, they found their treasure. Eight gold chains. Three large coins and a ring. Estimated value? About half a million dollars. I cried like a baby, said 20-year-old Hillary Schmidt, after her brother showed her and the rest of the family the handful of gold on the boat. His pocket was hanging with gold down to the ground. It was an intense moment. We were all just screaming and crying. It's a feeling of excitement, joy, feeling of blessing, gushed Hillary Schmidt. Oh, it was a hobby, but now, but now it seems like a lifestyle. We are pirates. It's just what we do. I suspect that you and I have probably never gone after sunken treasure like the Schmidt family. But we're not all that unlike them. Because every single one of us, all of us, are treasure hunters. Well, we may not be pirates, but we seek treasure. We seek after treasure every single day of our lives. It's our lifestyle. It's what we do. We name things as important to us, and we all live to get and experience the very things that we have deemed important. There are things that we treasure and things that we don't, and our lives all file a trail of choices, decisions, and actions that have been magnetized by what we hold dear, by what we treasure. So I ask you this morning, what is your treasure? What occupies your thoughts when your mind wanders? What do you fret? What do you worry about the most? What is it that makes you feel the most secure? Apart from your loved ones, what or whom do you most dread losing? In ways that most of us are probably unaware on a daily basis, we tell ourselves that if we are able to possess and experience what we've come to treasure, then we will be satisfied and happy. As Tripp says, we all live, if only I had blank lives. 
in whatever sits on the other side of your if only is your treasure. That's it. That's what you treasure. So what is it for you? What is your treasure? What are you really living for? And whatever it may be, that very thing is your functional treasure, regardless of what you profess to believe and who you confess to serve. Now this suggestion I've given that we're all treasure hunters, it doesn't come from me. It doesn't originate with me. It actually comes from the mouth of Jesus. It comes from the mouth of Jesus Christ himself. A couple of weeks ago, Dan began a series on what Jesus has to say about money. And we continue that series today from Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 6. I invite you to open your copy of God's Word to Matthew, chapter number 6. Matthew chapter 6, we'll be considering this morning verses 19 through 24. Verses 19 through 24, please follow along as I read. Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, if you were here last week, I hope that verses 20 and 21 sounded really familiar as Dan preached these words from Jesus as recorded by Luke in his account. Just by way of review, do you catch what Jesus is saying here in these verses? He assumes. Jesus is assuming here that all of us are treasure hunters. And he assumes that we're all treasure finders, too. And he puts all of our treasures into two categories. Earth or heaven. This world or the next. And in this, he commands us here to pursue and store up treasures in heaven rather than treasures on earth. Now, Jesus here is not condemning all wealth any more than he's condemning all clothes. He's not prohibiting things. But the love of things. He's not prohibiting money, but the love of money. Jesus forbids us from making mere things our treasure, from pursuing and storing things as if they had some ultimate importance. And he gives us in these verses two reasons why. First, he calls us to consider the permanency of our treasure. 
The point is clearly made here. Treasures of this world don't last. And even if we were somehow to be able to keep all of the things of this world in perfect condition until the day we die, we can't take them with us. So, so the big limo-type cars, they're called hearses, that carry caskets to the grave, those cars are not built with a trailer hitch. And, and I guarantee you, you have never seen one of them on the way to the graveyard pulling a U-Haul trailer full of stuff, right? And as the old Spanish proverb says, proverb says, there are no pockets in a shroud. So as we choose our treasure, Jesus calls us to consider its permanency. Whatever you're treasuring, think about how long it'll last. And the things of this earth don't last. You cannot take them with you. Second here, he calls us to consider the power of our treasure. The power of our treasure. And this is where we're going to, to sit this morning and focus on. He calls us to consider the power of our treasure. Notice that here in verse 21. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The point is simple. Our hearts follow our treasure. And what we treasure will actually govern our lives. Our treasures will control us. Jesus makes this point further in verse 24. In verse 24 where he says, no man can serve two masters. There's mastery talk here. For either he will hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. We are mastered by what we treasure. I think J.R. Tolkien understand that, understood this in, the Lord of, in his Lord of the Rings trilogy. If you remember, the ring in those stories was a master. There was a controlling power that ring had. And it also had a name. What was it that whoever possessed the ring called it? You remember? The ring was called My Precious. My Precious. Whether we recognize it or not, we are mastered by what we treasure. And since, as Jesus says, all of us treasure either the things of this earth or the things of heaven, it follows then that we are slaves to only one of two masters. Either master God or master stuff. Every single one of us this morning is serving either King Jesus or King Money. That's it. As much as we might want a third option, there isn't one. There is no neutral ground. Everyone's life is organized by the functional worship of one of those two kings. There's something here. There's, there's something about God and money that make them tend to mastery. 
both of them, both God and money, make the demands that they each make on us are total. They're all or nothing type demands. And the demands given by money and the demands given by God are incompatible. They don't work together. They're diametrically opposed. One commands you to walk by faith. The other by sight. One to be humble, the other proud. One calls you to set your affections on things above. The other on things of this earth. One calls us to look at things unseen and eternal. The other at things seen and temporal. One of these two kings commands us not to worry. The other demands. Demands and always comes with anxiety. So, so there's inescapable conflict here. And, and this conflict that we can't get away from between God the King and King Money, it, we, it comes out in, in, in virtually all the teaching Jesus gives us on money. This conflict, this inescapable conflict comes out. I know three weeks was a long time ago. And I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands of how many of you remember the sermon from three Sundays ago. All right? We, we so quickly and easily forget. But if you remember, if you can think back to that day, Dan preached from Luke 18. And in that, Jesus, we see the story Jesus gives. We see the story of Jesus meeting the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler came to Jesus, and he asked Jesus, how can I have eternal life? Jesus knew his heart. And Jesus knew that the rich young ruler was serving king money. And so he told him to sell everything. Remember that? Sell everything, and then come and follow me. Jesus didn't give option number three. He didn't give option number two. There was no negotiation. There was no compromise. Jesus left no room whatsoever for making a deal. And in Jesus telling the rich young ruler to go and sell everything and then follow him, that's just another way of Jesus saying, you cannot serve God in money. He's saying the same thing. Well, upon hearing this, if you remember, the rich young ruler was unwilling to switch masters. And in that choice, he revealed that money was indeed his true treasure. It was exposed what it was that he considered most precious. Jesus later told his disciples that it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man like this one, like the rich young ruler who's mastered by money. It's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for that guy to enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, what Jesus was saying was, it's impossible. Why? Because you cannot serve both God and money. As Carson said, Either God is served with a single-eyed devotion, or he's not served at all. 
attempts at divided loyalty betray not partial commitment to discipleship, but a deep-seated commitment to idolatry. Money's not evil. Okay, don't get that impression as if this is just in and of itself a bad thing. That is not the case. Money is not evil, but it makes a very, very bad God. And it makes a cruel master. Wealth is not evil in itself, but you must not let it rule your heart. You simply cannot serve the King of Kings and have the acquisition of wealth as the organizing, driving dream of your heart. You cannot have money as the treasure that you crave and at the same time tell yourself that you're living to gain the eternal treasures of the kingdom of God. It's a lie. It's impossible. I think it can be very easy for us as Christians. It can be very easy for us as Christians to say that we're mastered by King Jesus. Absolutely, yes, he's my king. It's so easy for us to say that, yet live in such a way that really shows an allegiance to king money. And all the while, we live our lives day to day and seem to just be oblivious to that contradiction. We're all susceptible to that. I think to one degree or another, we're all guilty of that. In his incredibly helpful and, I will add, very convicting book called Sex and Money, Paul Tripp shares some specific ways in, in which this very thing can happen. And here they are. We can be unaware that money and things are the distributors of our joy. That can happen to us as Christians. We could live not realizing how much of our time and energy is spent gaining, maintaining, protecting, repairing, and enjoying the physical stuff of this earth. For me, all it took was getting a house to see my battle with this one. We can so easily not grasp how many hopes and dreams, sadness and disappointments are attached to money and attached to things. We can fail to see how much we struggle with greed, entitlement, envy, and covetousness. And we often don't see how much the lack of money or the desired thing causes us to doubt the goodness of God. And because we don't see all this, we don't realize how as we gather for corporate worship, we essentially have to switch kings because the king we've come to worship is not the king that we've served all week. Tripp concludes that this word from Jesus is a spiritual bomb dropped in the middle of our comfortable materialistic lives. And as I worked on this this week and studied this passage, I said, yes, yes, this is a bomb. This is a bomb in my life, my comfortable, materialistic life. This is a bomb 
Jesus has dropped. I couldn't agree with them more. As I read that list and, and shared those ways in which we live as if money's our king, even though we say Jesus is our king, can you identify with any of those things? Subtle ways in which we show allegiance to King Money, even though, even though we claim to show allegiance to King Jesus. Do you sense in your heart the idolatrous power of money? Do you see its glimmer? Do you ever feel its pull and, and feel the draw that it has? Are you ever tempted to treasure money more than Christ? Well, I sure am. Yes, and all these things. And to one degree or another, you are too. We all experience this. What Jesus says here, it's, it's, this is not a small thing. This issue is not insignificant. So what should we do about it? What do we do about this? How can we fight and defeat King Money? How do we break free from the ownership and control of this cruel and oppressive ruler? And how do we keep from allowing the things of this world to become an idol and to become the master that we serve? Well, there's an answer. There's an, I'm glad there's an answer. I would be in bad shape if there wasn't. So whether it's finding freedom from king money for the first time, perhaps you're here this morning and you've never experienced freedom from the things of this world. If that's you, or whether you're here and, and you're fighting this attraction, you're fighting this king and it's an ongoing thing in your life and over and over as a servant of King Jesus, you're waging war, Regardless of who you are this morning, the answer to this, the answer to this question, this issue, is exactly the same. And the answer is this. You must live by faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You must live by faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus knew a thing or two about wealth. Jesus knew lots about treasure and wealth. He had all the riches of heaven at his disposal. And Jesus possessed the ultimate status and security as the very Son of God. He was eternally rich. Yet he left the splendor of heaven. He set it all aside. He became poor and he died on the cross to pay the penalty of our sin. Why? People don't just die for something they don't treasure. Jesus died for that which was precious. Jesus died for his treasure. And as Isaiah 53 tells us, when he saw the results of his suffering, he was satisfied. Keller insightfully said that every treasure but Jesus will insist that you die to purchase it. 
But Jesus is the one treasure who died to purchase you. Jesus was willing to lose all his treasure so that you could become his treasure. Do you really think that there's another master worth serving? Oh, there's not. There's not when we consider the treasure of Christ. Trusting in Jesus' death on the cross for sin is the only thing. It's the only thing that will free you from the slavery of money or any other slavery for that matter. King money is strong. But Jesus, King Jesus, is stronger. I wonder this morning, have you ever experienced true freedom from King Money? And have you ever experienced the loving and gracious rule of King Jesus? Have you done what the rich young ruler refused to do? Have you let go of everything to follow Christ? Jesus said that if you find your life, that is, treasure all that's tied up in the here and now, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for the sake of Christ, that is, treasure Him far above all the things of this world, He said you'll find it. Jesus made it very clear that following Him will cost you everything of earthly value, but it's worth it. Oh, it's, it's so worth it. Being ruled by King Jesus is worth it. Serving King Jesus is worth it. As Jim Elliot said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Don't you think it's time for a new and infinitely more precious master? Embrace the treasure who died to make you his treasure. Turn to King Jesus today. And for those of us who've been freed from the bondage of king money through faith, and those of us who are trusting in the work of King Jesus on the cross, this very message of the gospel this very message of the gospel is precisely what we need to continue to fight the deceptive allure of material things. It's exactly what we need to keep from functionally serving king money. I don't think after the little bit of study that I did, I don't think that I completely understand all that Jesus was saying in verses 22 and 23. But I think there's some helpful application here as we consider this. Verses, verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Well, the eye here is pictured as a window through which light comes into the body. And we all know this. If the window is clean and the glass is clear, 
the light that comes in will properly light up every part of the room, but if the window is dirty or if the glass is perhaps uneven or tinted or discolored, the light's going to be hindered and the room will not receive the full benefit of the light. So it's the condition of the eye that determines the quality of light that enters the body. And all throughout the Bible, the eye is the equivalent, the, the, in the Bible, the eye is equivalent to the heart. And I think that the healthy eye here, we could say the healthy heart, has the idea of singleness of purpose, that of undivided loyalty. The healthy heart, the healthy eyes, is the one that sees God rightly and considers His ways and the gospel of Jesus Christ as the great treasure in life, not money. It is an eye fixed on the beauty and treasure of Jesus Christ in the gospel. And if we lose sight of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then our vision so easily becomes clouded by darkness, by the God of money, And when that happens, king money will become the functional ruler of our heart. So if we are to live in a way that is consistent with what we claim to believe and and keep from functionally serving king money, even though we claim to be serving King Jesus, we have to start here. We must first continue to believe the gospel. We must continue to trust in the gospel. That message Christ crucified and risen must be the constant, steady, and single focus of our hearts. A second way that we as Christians can continue to battle king money is to give. Is to give, to to let go of our money. To let go of our stuff. Of course, giving is a way to lay up treasures in heaven. Yes, that's what we're doing when we give. As Jesus says here, we're storing up treasures in heaven. But giving also is a very practical way of fighting king money and resisting the temptation to serve him. The fifth principle that Alcorn gives in his fantastic little book called The Treasure Principle. In this principle, he describes giving as an antidote to materialism. Giving as an antidote to materialism. And here's what he says. Giving is a joyful surrender to a greater person and a greater agenda. Giving affirms lordship. It dethrones me and exalts him. It breaks the chain of money that would enslave me. Giving doesn't strip me of vested interests. Rather, it shifts my vested interests from earth to heaven, from self to God. Giving breaks me free from the gravitational hold of money and possessions. Giving shifts me to a new center of gravity, heaven. So as we approach in these weeks, Ministry Advance 2016, we could so easily think something like this. Man, really? 
I just went through this four years ago, three years ago, two years ago. Again? I have to pay off this or that. There is this or that which I really need or at least want to buy. I really need or I want to put, put more into savings for this or for that. Am I the only one who's had these thoughts? I have. I'm admitting I have. And I would suspect I'm not alone. But if we stop there, if that is as far as our thinking goes, <laughs> then we're completely missing the significance of what Jesus is saying here. If we truly understand what Jesus means, if we grasp the seriousness of what really is at stake in our battle between King Jesus and King Money, then Ministry Advance 2016 will get us excited. Oh, it'll get us excited. It'll excite us because we will see in it not just an opportunity to store up treasures in heaven, but we'll see it as an incredibly helpful and effective weapon in our fight against king money. We should see Ministry Advance 2016 as a tool to help us dismember an idol. It is a tool to help us dismember an idol. And for me, thinking about this begged a question. A question that just came up in my head and I've had to deal with. And the question was this, how much should you give? Okay, if, if indeed this is a, a weapon to help me fight king money, how much should I give? How much should you give? Well, I don't have an answer for you. You'll never hear anyone in this church give you a dollar amount that you should give to anything. That is, that's between you and the Lord. But I'll say this. If, if you are here this morning, perhaps, and, and you're not giving anything to the work of Christ through a local... You, you've never really given to Christ's work in a church... I would encourage you to consider starting to tithe. A tithe, which is 10% of your income, that's a good place to start. But that isn't where we should stop because the model for New Testament giving isn't the tithe, it's grace. Alcorn said that tithing isn't the ceiling, but the floor. He describes tithing as training wheels of giving. I recently heard a well-known pastor and author answer this question of how much we should give like this. He said that when Jesus treasured you, he treasured you sacrificially. When Jesus treasured you, he treasured you sacrificially. If Jesus had only tithed his blood, you would still be lost. And the point he was making was that if you are following Jesus, 
You must live out the reality of the cross in your finances. And for many of us today, I, I bet even probably for most of us today, the tithe is not really a sacrifice at all. There's, for so many of us, there's no cross in giving 10%. It's not there. And I would add that for many of us in our battle against king money, there is very little, if any, power in only giving a tithe because there's all this left over. There's all this left over that is calling for our service, desiring to master us. I thought of it sort of like shooting a bow and arrow at a tank. 10% probably isn't going to be that helpful in our fight against king money. So in the weeks ahead, in the weeks ahead before Commitment Sunday on November 3rd, prayerfully consider what you should give. Pray about it. Think about it. Talk with your spouse about it. And as you do, as you think through this and work through this, consider the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Think about what Christ gave you. Bring the cross into your commitment. And also, think about this. Also consider the opportunity to fight king money through your giving. Unless I don't know some secret corners of your life, I suspect that none of us will ever search for sunken treasure. I don't know that that's a hobby and an aspiration for any of you. Probably won't happen to any of us, but, but all of us are treasure hunters. All of us are treasure hunters. We are all pursuing what we've named as important. And the only thing that distinguishes us, the only the thing that distinguishes all of us is the kind of treasure that we're pursuing. Tripp has summarized so well what Jesus has said our treasure hunt is really about with these words. He says it's about a great spiritual war that somehow, way, is fought on the battlefield of the heart of every human being. It is the battle between two kings who seek to defend and expand their kingdoms. It is a war that no one will escape and will leave a whole lot of carnage. It's the great conflict between King Christ and King Money. One of these kings will become the functional master of your heart. One of these kings will guide your decisions. Each of these kings offers you hope, life, and peace, but only one of these kings is able to deliver. Both of these kings will tell you how to view life and what is important to focus on as you do. And the reality is that your heart simply isn't able to love them both. And in your life, you aren't able to serve them both. So which king are you serving? Which king are you serving? And, and as we all together 
fight this spiritual war is we consider Christ's words here. May God help us to keep focused on the good news of Christ crucified and risen. May the eyes of our hearts be fixed with steady, single, and constant focus on the beauty and treasure of Jesus Christ in the gospel. And may God help us to give in a way that reflects the sacrifice of the cross. And may we give in a way that acts as a means of helping us to continue to be free from the rule of King Money. And may God do all of this. May God do all of this in our lives for the eternal wealth of our souls. And may he do it for the priceless and glorious worth of King Jesus. Let's pray. Father, you are completely right to demand from us our exclusive worship because there is nothing and no one as precious and as glorious as you are. We hear these words this morning from Jesus and we're convicted. We're convicted because we realize that we don't always properly value the treasure of Christ and his grace. Our hearts wander, and because our hearts wander, our wallets wander right after it. We spend money on things we don't really need, and we use them only to satisfy self. We confess, Father, that we envy what others have and would like to possess. In our hearts, so often, Father, is a discontent a discontent with what you've given us. There are moments when we aren't satisfied and we simply want even more, though you've already given us so much, so much more than we even need. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that though you were rich, you became poor. You became poor for us, for our sake, so that by your poverty, we might become rich. Thank you, Jesus, for setting aside your treasure to make us your treasure. And thank you, Father, for the rescue through Christ from, from the allegiance to King Money that we all are guilty of at times. And help us, Father, to, to more and more give Christ the proper value in our hearts so that King Money will have neither the power nor the room to rule us. Father, do this work. Do this work. Through Christ we pray. Amen. There, there's a lot.